Okay, thank you. Um, I acknowledge that what we're standing on here always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, as my minor contribution to this symposium, I would like to complicate the dichotomy that seems to frequently emerge between the provincial and the contemporary. That is, to complicate the idea that contemporary art is from the world, by the world, for the world, and therefore inherently progressive, but provincialist art, by contrast, is from the province, by the province, for the province, and therefore inherently retrogressive. Let's begin by considering how the notion of a contemporary art world impacted on the former provinces as it emerged at the beginning of the 21st century, or earlier. In the early 2000s, Terry, as the author of The Provincialism Problem, began to develop a model of contemporary art founded on the idea that processes of globalization, which include cheap travel, instant online communication, and an increasingly interconnected and interdependent global economy, work together to radically diminish the distance between centers and peripheries. The pull of this model was particularly strong for young historians of Australian art like myself. We who were looking for um, ways to theorize contemporary Australian art beyond the hermetic and quasi self-deprecating paradigm of Australian postmodernism, as promulgated by writers like Paul Foss, Paul Taylor, Megan Morris and Philip Brophy in the 1980s, or before it, Bernard Smith's understanding of Australian art in terms of its distance from a better, more interesting art center. These are the dominant road steps in that history that were taught in universities. Terry's art historical model of the contemporary allowed us to abandon the idea that Australian art is somehow exceptional, whether exceptionally derivative or exceptionally distant. And this uh, opportunity was very exciting. It also chimed with how we perceived contemporary Australian artists to be operating in the world, i.e. participating in biennales of international art, undertaking international residencies, or having their work written about um, in art forum and so on. This excitement was what led my friend and colleague Nick Crogan and I to establish a printed journal of contemporary Australian art, which amounted to an intense commitment of our time, labor, and finances. But in so enthusiastically, and perhaps even symptomatically, embracing the paradigm of the contemporary art world by conceiving of it as antidote to our provincialism exceptionalism, I think we, or at least I, overlooked some of its more serious and insidious shortcomings. In the years since starting Discipline in 2011, I've grown much more skeptical about the geopolitics of the contemporary art world, which I think are important to consider alongside all the many undeniably great things about uh, that the globalized art world has engendered. I've sketched out three very, very brief examples that might help illustrate my newfound wariness, or we could call these three um, apparatuses through which contemporary art expresses itself. The first is the prism of industry. As a Melbourneian, as in someone who frequents the National Gallery of Victoria, it is becoming increasingly more difficult to ignore the contemporary art world's near total assimilation with the entertainment and tourism industries. Currently, there resides an exhibition of Australian car design at the NGVA, entertaining enough to have attracted Prime Minister Tony Abbott as a visitor. And who could forget the spectacle that was Melbourne now, which seemed to somehow manage to include every single living artist living and working in the city, thus expanding the exhibition's marketing reach exponentially. As you know, Melbourne now utilized the city of Melbourne as a curatorial theme and physical framework, thus dovetailing immaculately with the aims and objectives of the State Tourism Board. Evidently, contemporary art is now a bona fide industry. The thickening spread of biennales across the face of the globe, along with the slew of graduate and postgraduate degrees in contemporary art, the journals and magazines of contemporary art, and museums, galleries, and auctions of contemporary art all testify to this fact. As do the number of people who make a living in contemporary art, of which I am an example. 
But if contemporary art is an industry, what are its industrial relations? Who enforces its workers' rights? Terry just correctly identified in his lecture the fact that the experimental and independent institutions in this sector require a certain amount of energy that is never quite sufficient, that is necessary but never quite sufficient to sustain this production and presentation of what he terms consequential art. This energy, I feel, is more accurately described as labor. And we all know that the amount of volunteer and otherwise unpaid labor that allows the contemporary artwork to function, especially in the sector of small to medium orgs of, IMA, of which the IMA is a part, is totally astronomical. Another way to think through the problematics of the contemporary art paradigm is obviously by examining the specificity uh, of its financing. So the second apparatus through which you could examine it is to just like follow the money trail. As someone who, like many of the other people in this room, participated in the debate about transfield sponsorship of the Sydney Biennale last year, it is also increasingly difficult to ignore the fact that the contemporary art world is contiguous with the passages of very dirty money. Given uh, Minister Brandis's decision to partially defund the arm's length organisation OSCO and to further support Creative Partnerships Australia, which is, an initiative, which is an initiative that has been developed specifically to wean artists and art organisations off government money for the arts by helping them to attach themselves to corporate sponsors and partners, we know that this situation is unfortunately only going to get worse. The recently drafted document, Guidelines for the National Program of Excellence in the Arts, lists one of its four funding objectives to, as to encourage greater private sector support and partnership funding for the arts, and of its four assessment criteria, one requirement is that an NPEA-funded project demonstrates a high level of corporate and philanthropic support. Another is that the proposed project provides value for money, and they mean it literally, not figuratively. In this climate, as Pamela Lee has emphasized in her 2012 book, Forgetting the Art World, I quote, we need to force the question of our own embeddedness. We need to figure out how, to continue with Lee's quote, to confront the relation between globalization, which I would substitute with the word neoliberalism in 2015. Um, so how to confront the relation between globalization or neoliberalism and contemporary art when we are both object of and agent for such processes. This was precisely the problem for the small number of Australian artists who threatened to and then did boycott the 2014 Biennale of Sydney. Their efforts to take an ethical stand were met with cries of hypocrisy, most, not most notably from the Arts Minister George Brandis himself, for how can you, by his logic, reject transfield money when you accept Australia Council money, when you are already seemingly and intractably implicated or embedded? A third apparatus through which contemporary art, uh, art expresses itself um, is language. Um, if contemporary art has done away with provincialism to some degree, it has in many respects achieved this by developing a type of Esperanto, an international medium of communication of sorts. This is what Alex Rule and David Levine memorably called in their 2012 Triple Candy essay, International Art English. I'm aware of all the critiques of this essay, but I still think it has sort of like a kernel of truth in it. Um, so what does it say about the globally dispersed and putatively radical heterogeneity of the contemporary art, of contemporary art, that we can travel the world to see it and yet encounter identical phrases to describe it? There are, after all, very real limits to our capacity to understand the viewpoints, experiences, and belief systems of others. Why does the language of contemporary art so often disavow this, often in spite of the art itself? 
the task of many of the most exciting, ambitious, and intelligent young curators, I believe, such as the Samoan Persian Leoli Ashragi, who is currently based in Melbourne, is to decolonize the institutions of contemporary art, which of course begins with decolonizing its language. So if the mentality of the provincial, provincialism problem pre-1974 was that only very few artists had the privilege to operate from within its center, then the logic of the contemporary, which seems to have the capacity to absorb and assimilate everything, everyone, and every location, means that very few, if any of us, can speak from a position outside of what Lee calls contemporary art's imperial reach. Melbourne now to return to this mega exhibition that seemed to include every artist living and working in Melbourne is the perfect example of this condition. Who was left outside the exhibition to truly critique it? Even Art Magazine, which did run a negative review of the exhibition, as Rex Butler has pointed out, um, participated as an exhibitor. So given contemporary art's proximity to the tourism entertainment industries, its increasing dependence on corporate finance, and the fact that it is primarily mediated by a formerly, if not currently, imperial language, English, um, I would suggest that the urgent task now is to locate the institution of contemporary art, to begin to pinpoint its flows, forces, and affiliations, to ask, as the first newsletter of EFLUX's super community project seemed to ask recently, what are art institutions actually doing, and more important, where exactly are they doing it? 